Welcome to Ex Libris On Air and the stories behind the stories of today's literature and their authors. A presentation of Ex Libris Publishing, host Steve Jorgensen connects with the writer to share the vision and inspiration behind their works. Insightful, informative, and always entertaining, please welcome host Steve Jorgensen and this week's edition of Ex Libris On Air. This is Ex Libris On Air. My name is Brian Houston. Today we are talking about uh, medicine. And we're not just talking about the uh, the science of medicine. We're talking about what goes on behind the curtain in an operating room, a doctor's office. Uh, and we have a gentleman on the phone who has written a book called Greed, A Tale of Power and Abuse in Medicine. It is published by Ex Libris. And uh, he goes by the pen name of Boudreaux. So uh, let me ask you, first of all, uh, tell me about yourself. Give me as much information as you feel comfortable giving me. Boudreaux. All right. Um, well, I've attended several universities and have three degrees and have worked in anesthesia for more than 25 years now. And originally I was born in South Louisiana. And I have worked all over the southeastern United States, have done a lot of anesthesia for traumas, open heart surgeries, craniotomies, preemies, 100-year-old patients, all kinds of things, and have seen a lot of stuff over the decades of uh, activity in my field. Now, I'm assuming that the stuff that you've seen uh, that is in this book is not going to be the kind of stuff that is uh, go-by-the-books medicine then? No, it's not. It's some of the uh, kind of unusual things that I've seen and experienced over the years. All right, let me, before we get into asking you about uh, exactly what, what the book is about, tell me a little bit about why you decided to write this book. I wrote this book because some of the things were unusual, and a lot of the patients we have just express questions and stuff where they really have no idea what's fixing to happen to them in the surgical process. And so I also wanted to lay out what happens for a person to have surgery in the book. Okay, uh, but then you also get into some of the seedy things that go on in the book. So tell me what the book is about. The book basically follows a week in the life of an alcoholic anesthesiologist, and <laughs> he works the system quite to his benefit and uh, doesn't hesitate to use the power and influence he has to, uh, to his benefit. Now, I've got to tell you, that makes me just a little bit uncomfortable to know that the, the, the man working with the anesthesia is an alcoholic, first of all. <laughs> yes, it's true, but uh, the, you know, people in medicine, nurses and doctors, are just regular people, too, and they have many of the same faults that carpenters, school teachers, and electricians and everybody else has. So, And so are you talking about this from personal experience or from people that you worked with? Personal experience. Really? Okay. And how difficult was it to do that kind of a job and have those kind of demons? Well, you have to deal with all kinds of neurotic people. Uh, a guy who was the, one of the head psychiatrists at Duke once told me, everybody's crazy. The only question is, where do you fall out on the line between <laughs> neurotic to psychotic? <laughs> and where do you fall in that category? It depends on the day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is great. Well, yeah, uh, I often, jo often joke with a doctor friend of mine, and we both agree on this. He said, you have to have some intelligence to finish medical and nurse or nurse school, but you don't have to be sane. Well, this is also true. I, I, you're very right. There's a thin line between genius and madness. 
Sometimes that's right. <laughs> yeah. All right. So um, tell me a little bit about uh, the uh, the people in the book. It's a fictional book, uh, so there's obviously a main character there. Tell me about this character, who, uh, who I assume is the alcoholic that uh, works with anesthesia, correct? Yes, and he's in charge of the operation there. He has some anesthesiologists working for him, and he works in a, a medium-sized community hospital in a fictitious town in the southeastern United States. All right, and so tell me a little bit about uh, his uh, his life there. Uh, obviously, I guess you get into more than just the what goes on there at the hospital. Uh, talk a little bit about uh, how you developed this character. Well, the character is based on uh, a, a combination of several people I've worked with over the decades and met. And some of them were some real characters. And I left out some scary stuff because after once in a while I have seen something like that. I don't want to scare people and go into the doctor because... We have one of the best, if not the best, healthcare system in the world. I've met people from other countries, and these socialized medicine countries can't compare to what we do here in this country. Mm-hmm. But this guy just basically goes along, and he's primarily interested in making the maximum amount of money for the minimum amount of effort, and he doesn't put forth a lot of effort. But he utilizes his degree and his influence and his power as the chief of anesthesia every chance he gets to benefit himself. So uh, you would say this guy is just a little bit crooked? Uh, well, he certainly goes up to the line of breaking the law, <laughs> and and he's not very ethical. Okay. Um, I'm not going to ask you to give away the entire book, but is there a particular scene or a story in the book that uh, might kind of give a uh, synopsis, give us a little bit of a taste of what uh, what a person might deal with when they read this book, uh, Some one of the interesting uh, anecdotes? Well, for example, the anesthesiologist will meet the patient, and they think that he's going to be the one to put them to sleep. But actually, a nurse anesthetist puts them to sleep, puts in the breathing tube, and does everything, and stays in there. And if they have a heart, you know, their heart stops beating, they start CPR and give drugs to start the heart back beating and do all the emergency purposes and activities, and uh, they'll call in the anesthesiologist if the anesthesiologist wants to be called in. But uh, the nurses do all the heavy lifting on all the cases, pretty much. Now, I, I saw in the uh, beginning of your book, you were talking about uh, anesthesia being uh, the one area in medicine still where you have to kind of react in the moment as opposed to uh, dealing with the mechanisms of medicine. Explain that. Well, you have a patient in a coma, and sometimes things happen... Uh, the surgeon will do something, and the heart rate will go from 70 to 30 in an instant. And nowadays, there's a big move to computerize anesthesia records, and so you have these imperfect computer programs that the uh, people in the operating room are fighting with. And if you're just the circulator who's the go gopher who gets stuff for the surgeon and the procedure, that's not a big problem. But when you have the person's life in your hands and you need to react in seconds to retrieve the patient or to do get pressure, blood pressure up or bring blood pressure down, get heart rate up or down, you need to be focused on the patient in front of you, not reading a novel or fighting with a computer. <laughs> so what would be a reason that you would give a, a person for wanting to read this book? Well, to find out what really goes on in, during surgery, and it also the book explains how the money flows from insurance agencies and government agencies for surgery and what happens during the surgical process and who's involved in the surgical process. Most people don't realize that nurse anesthetists do the vast majority of the anesthesia in this country. I've had a lot of patients over the years that thought the surgeon put them to sleep. Wow. So but he's busy doing the surgery. 
<laughs> so so it's an educational book, obviously. Yep. But at the same time, you've got the, the fictional part of this, so you've got characters that I guess people would be getting involved in emotionally, right? Right, and you also have stories that I've actually seen and experienced that uh, impact, and as this guy goes along in his days and weeks of activities and stuff, he ex- he sees and hears from his partners other things going on in other operating rooms because uh, there are several going on at one time, and, and these things have actually happened, and they're kind of uh, amazing things, really. Can you give me an example? Well, you'll have patients that... Uh, are really torn to pieces and sometimes it's stabbed, it's shot full of bullet holes, and sometimes a surgeon works with these people who are very good and very experienced, and they handle these things that are very critical situations, just like uh, we would handle putting on a pair of loafers. They're so good at it. And I've seen this in person, people that are just so good. It's like watching a wizard work during surgery, and he pieces these people back together and, and helps them to maintain life. And you see people that are crippled up, and they have procedures done that will change their lives once the surgery is completed. So it gives you an appreciation for just how talented and gifted uh, these people are who are in the medical profession, and we take that for granted nowadays, I guess. Right. Right. So tell there's more of a there's more of a attitude towards trying to find fault with rather than appreciation for uh, what's being done for the people and stuff. Now, it's very rare that any healthcare practitioner gets a thank you for taking care of me from a patient. Sure, they just assume that they hey they are in there and uh, that's your job and and so do it right. That's right. Well, yeah, it, people need to take appreciation because, boy, uh, you know, having seen family members in the hospital and in dire situations, uh, it's amazing uh, what a, a gifted and committed medical professional can do uh, to uh, save lives. And uh, I've seen that for myself. So tell me, is this the first book you've written? It is the first book I've written, and I'm getting ready to start writing the sequel this summer. Hope to have it finished by Christmas time. So what's, what do you think the sequel is going to be about? It's going to be carrying on with the same characters and a different and additional stories uh, of things I've seen over the decades in medicine and I've worked. Now, are you dealing with any uh, controversial issues in here as well? Uh, you deal with, uh, I've also mentioned a lot of the uh, ridiculous government and bureau- bureaucratic regulations that just increase the cost and decrease the efficiency and, and increase the busy work for clinical practitioners to really have absolutely no impact on patient care or patient outcome whatsoever. So when you're writing this book and you decided to go with it as a novel as opposed to uh, writing a, uh, basically a tell-all, what was your reasoning for that? Well, because I had uh, I wanted to follow a character in a story that follows a, a story in the uh, activity to this guy for a week with stories that supplement and add to his main course through his week of activities and things. Because it really is an amazing world. You see a lot of amazing things every week when you work in surgery. I can imagine. Uh, Now, let me ask you this. When a person puts this book down, they finish the last page, closed it, what is it you want want them to walk away from feeling? I want them to think, wow, so that's how that happens. Because most people have no clue what's going on. You don't really get it from TV shows and movies that are out there now. 
And you certainly, over a span of time, as much time as it takes, there's no way to condense that into uh, into a movie or anything like that. But at the same time, you can see uh, uh, scenes like you would see in ER, I guess, in your book. Right. Exactly. So tell me how we can go about finding your book. Uh, the book is available at barnesandnoble.com, amazon.com, and through the publisher Ex Libris. Now, have you had uh, any of your friends read any of the drafts or read the copy of the book yet? Yes, I've had a good friend of mine's sister who's a, a psychologist in Philadelphia read it, and she said, oh, my God, I had no idea. That's how this <laughs> happened. That she's been through medical school. Wow. So, so you really do pull back the curtain. Yes. Oh, that's fantastic. So, And when do you say the uh, sequel is uh, planning to come out? Uh, by Christmas time. Okay, fantastic. Well, before we let you go, Boudreaux, usually I like to leave it open for you. Is there anything that I've left out that uh, you would like to add that you'd like for people to know about you and about the book that you've written uh, entitled Greed, A Tale of Power and Abuse in Medicine? Well, I wanted to say that I have a lot of experience and have worked in all kinds of facilities in the southeastern United States and seen a lot of amazing things. And I plan on highlighting some of these and uh, telling these stories in my next book as well. And it'll be a very interesting read, and it'll educate people a lot as to what goes on. Well, it sounds fascinating. Uh, Obviously, coming from uh, someone who's gone through it all, I'm sure. uh, What was it that was most difficult about writing the book, or did you have any difficulty writing the book? I didn't really have any difficulties writing the books because I used to write 10 and 20 page uh, papers in graduate school okay. every week. So <laughs> this is just kind of an elongated version of a 20 page paper. Now, had you been taking like diaries and journals over all this time that you've been in this profession to uh, be able to go back and look at some of these notes and remember these things or are they just kind of burned in your brain? They're kind of burned into my brain and I'll, <laughs> I've made a, take a tablet and make a couple of pages of notes of things to recall the particular things that I want to tell that support the story of the main character going through his days and weeks. That's fantastic. Well, we wish you the best of luck with the book. Again, the name of the book is Greed, A Tale of Power and Abuse in Medicine. It's published by Ex Libris. Boudreaux, it was great talking to you. I really enjoyed it, and we look forward to uh, seeing how the book goes. Best of luck with it, okay? All right. Well, it was great talking to you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Boudreaux agreed a tale of power and abuse in medicine. It's published by Ex Libris. This is Ex Libris On Air. My name is Brian Houston. Thanks very much for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. Ex Libris returns after these short messages. Get ready to live la bella vita with Dawn Catherine. On Toginet.com, live la bella vita. If you're wanting to know all the beauty tricks of the trade and the latest fashion trends before everyone else, this is your show. If you admire celebrities' beauty and their fashion sense, this is your show. Do you love wine and want to know more about the process it takes to make wine from the vine to the bottle? This is your show. Live la bella vita. For more on the show and your host, check out our website, LaBellaVitaCosmetico.com. This is the kind of show you can sink your teeth into. If you enjoy traveling and food and family, all with an Italian flair, then you can live La Bella Vita with your host, Dawn Catherine. Wednesday nights at midnight, 11 p.m. Central, on Toginet.com. Welcome. 
Welcome back to Ex Libris with your host, Steve Jorgensen. Greetings for Ex Libris On Air. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book written by our author, Charles F. Lee, is titled Threat from Within. And Charles joins me from the Las Vegas, Nevada, in the United States of America. Thank you, sir, for joining me today. Okay. You have a book that has part science fiction, but all of it is fictional in, in content. You have uh, not been a novice as far as writing this book. You wrote another uh, fictional work. This one, though, The Threat from Within, where did that title come from, Charles? Uh, it was actually based on a concept that I came with. Uh, I wanted to write something that was in the bailiwick of my oldest daughter, who was a uh, pediatric neurologist. This has to do with neuro- neuroscience and uh, yeah. even has in there a, an element of brain research. Uh, yes, yes, it does. You also have included some thoughts on cell phones, cell phone technology. In fact, the front of your book has a, looks like a cell tower. Uh, share with my audience how that fits into the story. Well, you know, uh, there is an ongoing concern about long-term uh, uh, usage of cell phones, uh, creating perhaps uh, um, uh, tumors, particularly with young teenagers whose uh, skulls and brains are not completed yet. Mm. Uh, and, of course, uh, along with this concept is the fact that uh, every day you hear about uh, some people, some organizations, uh, systems being hacked into. Uh, and we know that, that uh, in this day and age that uh, anything is hackable. Uh, cell towers are hackable. Uh, and, and there's such a thing as called as a mini cell towers that people can use to pick up conversations of uh, individuals using their cell phones walking the streets. Wow. And, and, so, and so my concept, uh, while it is improbable, it's not impossible. Not impossible. There has been some concerns from the uh, protection of the United States that maybe even the United States government itself is doing some of this sneaky stuff. Yes. Yes, the, the government themselves are involved in, in what is called electromagnetic uh, radiation weapons program. Uh, and one of the main concerns of this program, that if it is used wrongly, you might say, it would kill the child. Ooh. That's one of the main concerns of this program, and that's, not, that's why it's not really uh, uh, known too much or pushed too much. But it has been used, I think, in, in the... Uh, uh, Gulf War, uh, with its intentions of disabling vehicles, because one thing the electromagnetic radiation weapons programs will do, it will dis- disable electronics. And it e- will also uh, damage or hurt uh, individuals' uh, neurological systems hmm. or, their, or their central nervous systems. And will this also affect the power grid? There's been some concern about that from a security standpoint. It could. Uh, this is still an ongoing program. Uh, how extensive, it's really hard to say. Your book begins in eastern Romania, and you've set the time frame as 2012. Why eastern Romania, and how does that fit into a story that people in the United States will gravitate toward? Uh, well, I just picked eastern Romania because of, of its uh, uh, fascination with, uh, with past history and what have you. Uh, uh, and also it's a remote location uh, where a, an institute described in my book could possibly have sprung up. 
It was just a location picked out at random it, because of the mountain, because of the mountainous location and such. Mountainous location. You. This is where your institute for brain study was established right. in your book. Right. Yeah, it's a remote location and what have you, and also a location that it was quite possible for uh, uh, people from all nations that disagreed with the government to congregate and form such an institute. And the people there are studying the brains of adolescents in an effort to prove the yeah, rest right, of the world. Right, right, right. Yeah, because the, the, the brains of adolescents are uh, a subject uh, under research all over uh, the country, you might say, and the world. Uh, people are, are, are concerned with, uh, you know, why teenagers sometimes act the way they do. And this is not only true in this state, but also other countries. And so there's been extensive research to find out why uh, teenagers uh, do what they sometimes do. And we all did it when we were kids. <laughs> Silly things. Yes, true. That's true. I hate to... I, in fact, I still have nightmares over some of the choices I made as a young yes. adult. Yes. The uh, story itself, how would you describe it? Is this a... Would you call it more of a mystery, or is this an action science fiction no, story? No, it's, it's, an, it's an action thriller. It's probably half uh, half reality and half science fiction. You had to but do... An action. You had to do some science, scientific research in order to get your facts yes. at least sort of close. Yes, How yes. long did that take you, Chuck? Uh, quite a while, but, uh, you know, uh, I have spent uh, many years researching, because I used to write articles for two magazines before I, I started writing books. And, and these articles were, were uh, nonfiction, all requiring, you know, a lot of research, because all the T's have to be crossed and the I's dotted when you do non-research type of and you're talking about historical things. Did your family, because of their education and uh, their focus in the medical areas, did that have? Uh, did they have any opportunity to give you advice or suggestions in the book? Uh, I fully intended that my oldest daughter do that very thing, but I actually uh, let Exlibris uh, push me too fast to get the book published, and I I, I never did get what I intended to do and asked to have her uh, uh, edit and review the material before it went into publication. But she did read it afterwards, and she said it was fairly, fairly accurate. I mean, pretty racket, I should say. That's that's a good commendation, especially coming from one of your one of your yes. kids. Yeah, I, I, I wish uh, she my... only, yeah, she only picked up on one or two words that uh, there was a, uh, a letter dropped out or, or letter different on a technical term. On a technical term, that's that's yeah. pretty remarkable. Uh, you have uh, written over 385 pages. Your main character, how would you describe them? Uh, unfortunately, in this first book, the way it was presented, uh, um, you might say that the the one character, which was uh, born, uh, the the uh, the instigator of the of the uh, test, it was probably came out the strongest. I tried to bring out uh, enough uh, background of the of the seven. Uh, uh, high school students, you know, to uh, to uh, inform uh, a reader, you know, what was going on and that sort of thing. Uh, apparently, uh, I've been more successful with the, with the bad guy in the movie, so to speak, and <laughs> what he went through and how he escaped and all that other stuff. That may be saying something about your creativity or your interest in life. Is that uh, something that might be well, a giveaway? No, 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 because, because uh, this first book, I had planned a sequel, and this sequel brought out more uh, more of the the uh, uh, individuals uh, personal personalities and this sort of thing okay uh, the whole setup was based on, on on a three book series 
a trilogy, and I'm working on the trilogy now, which brings out even more about the seven high school students that were presented in the first book. The photo of yourself on your... Are you a backpacker, or is that a parachute that you're wearing? Uh, that's a parachute. I, I thought it I, was. I, <laughs> yeah, I used to, I used to uh, belong to the Navy Dallas Flying Club. I was a pilot, and that parachute I was working in the picture back then, I was taking a uh, uh, check ride, an aerobatics check ride, to see if I could still handle uh, aerobatics. Incredible and shot. I could. Yeah. I, I, I'm sorry, and you could or could not? I could, yes. That figures. That figures. Well, you uh, you are a veteran of uh, the Korean War, so you have some wonderful credentials there, plus you've worked the uh, Atomic Energy Commission. I believe that's correct. You have great credentials from a philosophical and scientific background, at least enough to be dangerous. The story that you have written, would you say this is going to appeal to a lot of people, or is there a narrow audience for what you have penned? Well... It's really hard to say. I went to a book signing in Florida, and some of the the, uh, the youngsters, the teenagers, which which the book is pitched for, were, were was happy to get a, a book, and they sounded interested in reading because it is based on on uh, the activities of uh, typical, uh, you might say, high school. I shouldn't say typical because they have skilled right. high school students. So, so I I try to to uh, write the book to uh, uh, to interest teenagers. Right up through adults. Which of the action scenes that you've created do you think is going to be the most outstanding to the reader? I think it might well, be Chapter book, 18, isn't it? Yeah, uh, 18, Book 18. I mean, Chapter 18. Chapter 18. Yeah, that's the, that's the chapter that describes the, uh, the flight of the aircraft uh, taking the prisoner for further interrogation to uh, Dugway, and it crashes. And and he's the only survivor. Antagonist is the only survivor. The antagonist. And, and it, it, it details how he survives until he's finally uh, done away with. He's got the most action there. And when you crafted the threat from within, did you leave it open-ended so that there would be a sequel that made sense? It was a, there was a sequel. Under development. Yeah, it's already, it's already published. The, 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 the sequel to that one is published. The third one I'm working on, the same characters but a different plot. If you were to describe it to someone, what is your way to give them the one-minute sales talk? Why should they get a copy of The Threat from Within? Uh, one minute, I would say, and this is what people have told me, that they have found the concept intriguing. And that's about EMT, or yes. e EMT, the EMT theory. The book itself, 385 pages would you say it's got enough suspense, action, and storyline to keep people wanting to get more? Have you gotten any feedback, any reviews yet? Uh, yes, at the at the uh, Florida signing that I did, uh, those people that picked up the first book were interested in then in getting the sequel. Excellent. So I I would imagine from what I learned there that uh, yeah there was interest uh, uh, in in getting the sequel. Uh, although those that, those that showed up late after the first book was all gone uh, uh, picked up the sequel because it, you, you could read the sequel uh, just by itself. And not lose any uh, momentum. No, no, not lose any momentum. It just picks up where the, where the, uh, the first book lets off and, 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 and uh, is an action thriller under its own cover. Incredible. Uh, Chuck, it, were there any challenges in getting this book from creativity to printing. 
Uh, not really. No, it, just, it just took time, research and what have you, and, and trying to pull together uh, uh, enough facts and, and, and what have you to, uh, to make it worthwhile reading. Uh, and those that have read it, you know, uh, I thought uh, better. In fact, they like, they, in some respects, they like the second uh, book a little bit better. It was better ed- educated because I've looked, I looked and came up that, with the idea that uh, an author should not edit his own work. <laughs> well, that's probably, probably the best advice I could give. That's probably good advice. It is. Yes. Yes. Uh, Chuck, the threat from within, where do my listeners get copies of it? They can get it from uh, uh, Amazon.com, the e-books, or they can get it from uh, Barnes & Noble's e-books, or they can go to Ex Libris and, and, or, and, and order it through Ex Libris. Do you have a website developed yet? Uh, yes, I do. They can go down my website. My website is www.charlesfleeauthor.com. Excellent. They can keep in tra- contact with you through that and also yes. uh, l- probably read an excerpt from this book if it's available or get an idea of the other endeavors you are involved in. And I uh, just want to advise you, don't jump without a parachute. Thank you for sharing your story, sir. This is an interesting tale. 385 pages. The title again is The Threat from Within, our author Charles F. Lee. Thank you, sir, for joining me today. Okay, thank you much. My pleasure for Ex Libris On Air. This is Jay Douglas Barker. Ex Libris returns after these short messages. Join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu. Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Helen Wu was born and raised in San Francisco's Chinatown. And after a very difficult upbringing, fighting depression, abuse, and addictions, she finally finds herself genuinely happy inside and out. Helen believes in taking our positive thinking and doing something positive to achieve a positive outcome. She's here to make a positive difference in your life, to be your game changer, your aha moment mentor. She's ready to help both men and women get into a better place. Helen Wu is also the author of Self-Aid Success Stories, 25 Success Stories from Successful Entrepreneurs. Inspired by Ellen DeGeneres, Helen wants the world to know that just because we find ourselves in a difficult situation doesn't mean we have to stay there. We can aid ourselves to a better life. So join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu. Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Ex Libris with your host, Steve Jorgensen. Greetings for Ex Libris On Air. This is Jay Douglas Barker. The book is titled, The Spirit of Things 2. Here we go again. Our author, Carol Mann, joins me from Massachusetts. Welcome, Carol, to the program. Oh, thank you very much. I feel very honored to be here. Well, this is a, this is a, a book that deals with a subject matter and a lot of people are not familiar with, but some are curious about. What is the, the content of The Spirit of Things 2, your second book? My second book. I have been I have been intuitive since a child, and I'm able to see spirits. Some people call them ghosts. I, I call them spirits. But I take pictures, and I tell the stories. And in the book itself is a story um, about each spirit and their appearance and and the story and there and there is is a picture 
one or two pictures after each story. So that is the basic of the book. Um, this is my second book. The first one is uh, The Spirit of Things. Yeah. But when you, I'm sorry. Here, Carol, when you say you take pictures, are you taking pictures of just events, or are you taking pictures of uh, no, of, I'm of t- No, I go out in the woods. Oh. We have a 27-acre horse farm out here in Westport, okay. and it's very special to land. And um, I go out in the woods, and there's, there's pictures of orbs. I have fairies. There's and, hmm. and many other mediums have come to visit. And so I, on the front cover of the book, is there's a little spirit walking by in between one of the trees. Oh, yes. But, uh, and I just use a disposable camera. I'm not a technological person. I don't use a cell phone. I don't use a digital camera. I just use a disposable camera. But um, each story is concerning a spirit, and then there's a the picture of the spirit at the end to for confirmation. You have mentioned the the word intuitive, which some people are familiar with, and, and you've said you are or have been a, an intuitive since a child. What yes, is the yes. first imp- first impression uh, you have? Uh, some people call themselves psychics or mediums. I don't consider myself a medium. I don't channel. Um, I'm, I'm, an, I'm an intuitive. I, I have the gift of prophecy, and I see spirits, so I am intuitive. We, we are all intuitive. Right. It's just that it can be honed. It can be many people are into meditation now, which opens you. And uh, many people. there are so many health centers that have opened up in the past 10 years holistic centers, which will enhance this and show you how to uh, become intuitive, but we're all born that way. But for me, I've, I've just always been able to see that little something next to me or next to someone else or feel something, and, and we all have that gift. You say that you, you mentioned that, that you had noticed this as a child. How young were you when you I was around this? seven years old the first time, uh-huh. and my story... It's called The Black Man, and that's in my second book, and that's where it came about, where I was seeing this uh, this figure, and uh, we were just a bunch of kids hanging, you know, we had our own little crew growing up, but this is, uh, that's one of the stories, but that's when I first noticed it, and I've, I've felt something on my shoulder, I have seen things, I've taken pictures, I've smelled... Uh, I have, uh, it's called Claire, Claire, there's Claire Audience, Claire Gustance, there's all the Claire's, Clairvoyance, and uh, like I said, many people have them, and I've just, I've just accepted it very easily, so of course you become more open. I'm also a Reiki master and an aura photographer, so I have been involved in this for many years now. How long did it take you to write uh, Spirit of Things 2, this book? Uh, it took me from start to finish probably about four months. The stories are not that long, but they're all true. That's one thing about my stories; they're all true. And um, and then with the picture at the end, the uh, it's just my little book. <laughs> yes, are, are all the stories your personal stories, or are they stories of other people as well? There's other people's also. I have. Um, People that have emailed me from all over the United States with pictures and their stories, and uh, I put that in the book, and it, it, it's 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 an amazing little book for a little book. What what do you think is the most interesting story that the reader is going to find fascinating when they delve into the, little, the spirit of the, things? It's too? called the little one. The little it's one. It's about a little girl that appeared to her mother after she after she uh, crossed over, and it really helped the mom and. 
that is that's that's one of the best stories in there. I th- I think that's one of them that was very close to my heart. And so in ri- in writing this, did you have a an ulterior motive other than getting your information out there? I mean, is there is there an underlying message want you want to get? Be aware that there are that we all have spirit guides. I mean, it doesn't have to be a loved one that was crossed over, and it doesn't have to be anything, any kind of religious uh, being. But we do have spirit guides, uh, and we are guided, just like with angels. We are guided, and more people are opening to it now. They are more aware of it. They are dreaming of their spirit guide. They are getting messages in their dreams. They are, they are feeling their spirit guide. They are seeing signs also during the day, you know, and... They're just more aware, and a lot of people, it's helping a lot more people now. One of your chapters is called Cross of Moss. What does yes. that particular chapter deal with? That one, it's out back on my property. I was walking, this was about oh, maybe like oh, two years ago, and there's this stone, and it's covered with moss, but right in the middle is is a perfect picture of a cross. The moss does not grow. It's been like that for years. And that is the same day that when I was walking back and the, and the Blessed Mother appeared to me. Um, the mo- the mo- it's still there year after year. The moss does not grow. It just keeps that perfect cross picture of stone and it's all cross or, uh, moss around it. And that's in the book, too. I have a picture of that in the book. Very interesting. And it's still there. Yes, it's an interesting photo. I just looked at it, mm. and it uh, it is an obvious uh, definition of a cross. Some of your other photos yes. are not quite as clear, clear at least right. in, the, in the photos right. I've got, a little little more uh, obscure for my for my uh, observation. I know. But mm-hmm. they there are some unusual objects in your pictures in your photos. Uh, right. When you begin to write this, who did you want to reach with uh, this message? Just everybody, or was this something that you had a specific? individual in mind no i just wanted people to be aware that there are spirits out there and that the i mean now in our in our in our age of media with all the ghost hunting programs on and 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 spiritual radio um there is evidence of spirits and or, or some people call them ghosts and they can call them ghosts but there is another level above us, and, and that veil, we have a, it's a fine veil, and it's thinning. More and more people are connecting to the other side and, and contacting uh, their loved ones and other people on the other side, and it's just becoming more and more apparent. Carol, have you always wanted to be a writer as a young child? Did you have the desire to be an author? Yes, I have things that I have written since I was eight or nine years old, journals and all my dreams, because I, I journal all my dreams. I think it's important for everyone because there are messages in our dreams. And I have some that I have still from when I was eight, nine, ten years old. And I've always loved writing, so this is just something that, and I am planning a third project, but it's not going to be anything um, like the spirit of things. It's going to be something else. You planning to possibly go into the fictional side of uh, of storytelling in your next event? Uh, I have two ideas, yes, hmm. and I I already have a title for it, and then there's another another aspect of it also. Um, I have a little mentor. She goes to the Rhode Island School of Design, and she's an amazing artist. So she said she would do the artwork for the for the book, and this is something that. You know, I probably will be working on this summer. What 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 genre of 
storyline or storytelling do you like? Is it mystery? Is it uh, is it always involved the spiritual aspects of life, or are there other areas that interest you? The spiritual aspects of life and and mysteries, the mystery mysteries. of it. Mm. I think it coincides. You know, goes back and forth. Um, I it, it is it is something I've always had an interest in. It's always been there, and I've always seen spirits. So this is. I just think it's one of my purposes. What is your long-term goal as an author? Oh, well, I don't. I have never thought about getting famous. <laughs> <laughs> but it's. Um, it was just very, very uh, great to have my book published, and Exebris was wonderful. And um, as an author, is just to reach people, and I've had many people that have come to me about the book, and. Um, and so that it so it did have some kind of effect. Well, becoming an author, whether it's your first, second, or third book, is usually uh, fraught with challenges. Were there challenges in getting this particular oh, book, yes. The Spirit of Things, too, uh, completed? Oh, yes. Yes, what were those? Uh, it, it was match. Well, a lot of it was matching the pictures um, with the stories and, that, and, and, and choosing the stories. I mean, I still have a folder full of stories that I did not use yet. Um... It's like I said, and the, and some of the pictures are somewhat obscure in this book. But uh, this is my ne- my next project. I'll, I'll make sure the pictures are a little better. Or upgrade your camera. Maybe that's what it was. I don't know which camera well, you used. Well, no, my Yeah, I know. It's hard <laughs> too. You know, the pictures were in black and white, so it is hard. But um, it's it's the front cover says it all because that's. Yes. And it's really that was really one of the best pictures because it is in color. It's on the front cover. And my first book, there's a cover a co- picture of a horse spirit on the first book. And uh, I was take I was able to take different pictures there of animal spirits because animals have spirits also. They do have auras. They do have anything that has energy has a spirit. Fascinating. Okay, Fascinating. trees have spirits. Uh-huh. Uh, animals, people, but we all have this energy which is our aura. And, and a tree. You mentioned trees. I, there are some people that believe trees are like humans. I, that's not what you're saying. Oh, yes, you're ju- I do, do too. You, you you do as well. I do as well. The one on the front cover of the book. Her name is Senta, and huh. she's a spirit tree. And um, fairies have been seen around her. But they are living living things, and all living things have energy, which we are all, and nothing but energy. And they have energy, and it reaches out, and that's why you know. It's not too funny to see someone hugging a tree. Hmm. Native Americans, uh, like the bir- the white birch, is known because we get aspirin from it. Uh, pine trees, true. Uh, pine trees are wonderful to to, to console you. Um, they have their own energy. Each tree has their own energy. It's part of Mother Nature. Fascinating idea. I hadn't thought of it that way. I live in uh, yeah. eight acres of pine trees, and sometimes I uh, I get angry with my pine trees because they spit on me all the time. Really? But, well, I, uh, they they drop needles and make They're me work probably hard. Probably telling, trying to tell you something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't 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 plant a pine tree close to your house. Well, uh, you know, I I've enjoyed the visit. the The title of the book again is "The Spirit of Things 2. And that's uh, yes. two as in Roman numeral two. Here we yes. go again, and our author, Carol Mann, has joined me from Massachusetts. Carol, where can those who want to get a copy of this, where can they get their own personal uh, edition of it The Spirit of Things? It is for sale on Amazon, and exebris.com has it for sale. The website is also www.carolman.com, where you can 
look at the book, but Amazon also, it's been doing very well on Amazon. Um, around here in some of the local stores, it has been placed and selling. In fact, I have to bring some more to one other, one other holistic center because it's sold. And uh, it's very easily, like I said, between Amazon and Exebris and major book sites. It's carried on all major book sites. Sure, and they can request it from their local bookseller if they don't have a copy on hand. Uh, again, yes. the, the yes. title is again. And it also won, um, I entered into the... Um, the National Dragonfly Book Awards, and it won second place. Congratulations. I have, yes, and it's in the Indie Book Awards right now. I'm just waiting to hear because we had to just get that in soon. So that's it won second place in the uh, National Dragonfly Book Awards. So. Congratulations. The title of the book, again, much. is The Spirit of Things, 2, Roman numeral 2. Here we go again. The spelling of Carol's name is C-A-R-O-L-E, if you're doing a search yes. online, and Man is M-A-N-N. You can find her book, not only this, but the other books she has already published and those that may be coming in the future. Thank you, Carol, for joining oh. me today. Thank you very much. My pleasure. It was, it was a pleasure. For Ex Libris On Air, this is J. Douglas Barker. Join Steve Jorgensen next week at the same time as he explores the passion and the inspiration behind the works of today's authors. Right here on Ex Libris On Air.